1: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder, all the way up there in the Pacific Northwest. Ding, I said it. Everybody drink at home if you if you can. Uh, Got to get it at least once an episode. So uh, we are on our second 10 Gems episode of the year. We're going over defense this time. We, we just hit our 10 Gems of the offense earlier this week uh and before we get into that ej first of all how you doing second of all what are you drinking third of all can you explain for people that don't know what our 10 gems episodes are i can it's three questions and i can remember at least two
0: of them uh i am i am sad uh i'll start off with how i'm doing i'm sad because it looks like uh kyle fuller one of my all-time fave bears is no longer going to be bear due purely to mismanagement but we could do a whole podcast on that um so we're not going to dwell and i'm happy because i have a very good beer um this is from e9 brewing in tacoma washington not far from where i went to college which is stands for engine house number nine and it actually is in an old firehouse and this is their uh rowdy and dick amber ale and you might say who are rowdy and dick rowdy and dick were the last two fire horses yes this was a fire station when Fire wagons were still pulled by horses. Rowdy and Dick were the last two fire horses at the fire station, and this is their amber ale, about five point eight percent, right out of Tacoma. Uh, picked up a six pack when I ran in for a an errand, so I am excited to try that. Um, had many of their uh, productions uh, while I was in college.
1: <laughs> Guess you uh, could say that.
0: <laughs> yep, friends that work there. One of those places you can walk to. Lots of good stories out of E nine. Um, Third question. uh, What are the gems? Great question. So gems are not meant to be a sleeper list. They're really not meant to be um, the best players. These are just players that we like, right? They're players that we had fun watching. They can be up near the top of the board. They can be down near the bottom of the board. It really doesn't matter. It's not about their draft position or where they rank within their position group. It's just people that we like, not necessarily the flashiest or most popular, though some of these names are going to be pretty popular. Um, Maybe they have great skill. Maybe they have some untapped potential. Maybe they weren't used the right way in college. um, Or we just flat out had a great time watching their tape and we're like, nope, we're going to put a mark next to them. They're going to be on our gems episode. So our second year of doing it, uh, like you said, we did offensive gems earlier this week. Um, now we get to talk about 10 guys on the defensive side of the ball. And I don't know about you picking the 10 on offense was well, the five that I picked on offense excruciating this year. Cause the class is loaded. And somebody said in the comments on that one, Oh, you should do another episode. I was like, no problem. We could do five more each. And we could do five after that, and we probably wouldn't struggle. Um, the defensive class wasn't quite as hard for me to pick, but it was still difficult. There were there were definitely three or four extra guys that I was like, uh, I'd love to put them on, but I guess I'll just have to lean this way.
1: I, I didn't realize how few defensive tackles and how few corners I really loved until I tried to put together my list, because I was like, these are supposed to be the guys you just pound the table for regardless of first round to seventh round and i was like there's not a whole lot of defensive players period that i absolutely have to come away from this draft with but especially at dt and at corner like if you're not getting a few guys at the top for both of those positions it's kind of take it or leave it for me uh and i i kind of didn't realize that till i was going through this exercise so uh we'll, we'll get into our gems real quick here but first thing since you were talking about your friends that like to supply you alcohol, I got a little present in the mail today that I did not expect that it would be drinking for the show today from uh friend of the film room and friend of the pod, Virginia distillery company. I got to um, get on their mailing list, man. I I, I just got to get I on I their mailing list. I didn't even expect it. It just showed up. I FedEx guy came and he's like, uh, you have to sign for this. And I was like, why? And he's like, well, it's alcohol. And I was like, Okay, I didn't order that, but I'm not going to say no. Uh, it's a beautiful American single malt. And then I, I checked my messages later and, and um, my buddy sent me a message. and He's like, hey, I know you love sherry casks. And we did a release where we did a sherry cask and we want you to try it out. So I'm trying it for the first time on the pod tonight. Uh, and You're I, killing me because I, I can't know. even hop a flight and come to your house and try some. That's the worst part. Oh, my God, that smells amazing. Of course it does. Holy shit. First of all, if you're listening to this and you guys are in Virginia or near Virginia or are in a state that allows you to order alcohol over the mail, get anything from Virginia Distillery Company. But I personally love the port cask finish. I'm going to try the sherry cask right now, but they make phenomenal stuff. Their port cask finish is like the angel's envy of American single malts. It's fantastic stuff. But uh, anyway, getting into these gems, uh, I'll start off with my first gem of the evening, And uh, if you watch my live stream, what was it, two weeks ago now, where I I went through Justin Fields' worst, quote-unquote, statistical game against the Indiana defense. And I I was breaking that game down, you know, literally snap for snap for three or four hours. And it took probably about 20 minutes for that stream to become a Jamar Johnson love fest, who I had not watched at all. I had no idea who he was. And he made play after play early and often in that game against a very, very, very talented Ohio state offense, whether it was interceptions, run support, blitzing, he did everything in that game. And and again, you can go back and watch that stream and, and you'll get a better understanding of what I'm talking about here, but the mind games that he was able to play with fields pre and post snap in terms of, faking like he's rolling one way and then darting the other way in coverage and baiting him into throwing a pick or you know acting like he's going to drop out and play a deep half and basically baiting fields to not change the play off of a run at the line of scrimmage and then coming hard downhill at the snap to fill against the run for like a 2 yard gain he plays like a veteran safety in the NFL just mentally how he screws with quarterbacks and makes it really hard to read that Indiana defense, which is a very, I guess you could say pro style defense with all the crazy pressures they like to throw at quarterbacks um, and all the crazy coverages they run on the back end. Like the fact that he was running that defense and playing those kind of mind games with a consensus top five pick and one of the better quarterback prospects in this class, if not the second best, that was extraordinarily impressive to me. Now, physically, is he like an insane athlete? No, but he's good enough. Is he super big? No, but he's big enough. But the instincts, the intelligence, the physicality. I mean, he put, um, master Teague, he was blitzing off the edge. Master Teague's like 230 pounds, put him on his ass as a blitzer, just drop the shoulder, put him into the ground. He does everything for that defense. And I, I loved that game. And then I watched a couple more games of him after that. And, He's one of my favorite safeties in this class. Is he going to go as high as some of the other safeties? Probably not. Because again, the physical gifts aren't equivalent. But in terms of like day one starter and a guy that I can be pretty confident is going to get a second contract in the NFL just because of how smart he is. Yeah, he's up there. You know who he reminds me of a little bit?
0: Who's that? Just from the mental side. Not necessarily from the physical side, but a little bit now that
1: you're talking about him. Kevin Byard. Oh, yeah. I think Byard's a little bit rangier, but in terms right. of just instincts and athleticism. In terms like- of a
0: guy who knew where to be, and that made him faster. In terms of a guy that knew that, hey, I can drop off my route because it's not coming here anyways based on what they're doing. I'm going to go over here, and they're like, how did he get there? Right? It's mm-hmm. new, right? He had an extra step, an extra tick, um, and, you know, uh, Johnson like Bayard is not a guy that's afraid to lay the lumber right he's gonna come in and come in hard and run support
1: don't don't do that I oh my god people listening to the podcast version is that can't see my face when I take a first <laughs> sip of this oh my by God by the way
0: mine's excellent too no it I believe is it's really great. it actually is really good but no I that sounds. Tremendous and and with the losses that my team has incurred today, I might be tempted to try some, but no, um, <laughs> it's fun because Jamar Johnson, uh, the fans called this one right. The the bootleggers were like, Hey, guess what? I don't want to brats right? Yeah. <laughs> together, which is awesome. Uh, we really appreciate that you all uh are as tuned in with us uh as you are. Um, somebody gave me a comment on the offensive one that said, I need I, I need somebody to talk to me like like EJ talks about running backs. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's true. I love me some good running back play. But no, Johnson's super fun. Um, before I get going, I should probably, somebody's probably wondering, what the hell is the All Juice team? So the All Juice team was a team put together by Therese Paler. Therese Paler, an NFL journalist, started out covering the Chiefs Um, younger guy, moved up to covering the entire NFL. I did not know, Therese, I never got a chance to meet him. Um, I know quite a few people who knew him very well, and everybody had very, very glowing things to say about him. Therese passed away earlier this year unexpectedly, um, and uh, one of the things that came out of that very unfortunate circumstance is that they set up a scholarship at his alma mater for journalism, Um, for students that are going to go become journalists, Uh, maybe sports journalists, maybe not. Um, But Therese was a great writer and a tireless worker. And um, you can get these at Breaking Tea. uh, And they decided that all the profits from this t-shirt should go to support that scholarship fund. And when I saw that, I thought, that is the perfect representation of what he wanted to do or what he would have wanted to do um it's what he did with his life what he was dedicated to um so anyways i picked one up it's super comfy uh i said i'd wear it on a pod once i got it and i uh, couldn't be happier to be wearing it tonight but my first guy is zavin collins from tulsa mm. and Zaven's one of those guys that when i told brett about it i was like there's this kid and he's really good. His name's Zaven Collins. where do he go? Tulsa. <laughs> huh? He says, I said, he won the Bednarik. You should look it up. Like he's, he's legit. So if, if you're not familiar with Zaven Collins, he is a huge guy that moves like a much smaller man. He is 6'3", 256, just a big dude, but a tremendously talented athlete, very coordinated, fluid, athletic, great coverage, great length. And again, um, like Johnson, one of those guys that has a really good processor. Like he knows you see him do little things on tape. There is a great play where they have another team pinned up against the goal line. He's lined up, he's looking back and forth across the formation. And right before the snap, he takes a half a step left. Mm-hmm. And I was like, huh. And I didn't really notice it. And then he shoots through a gap, nails the running back for a TFL for safety. And I was like, oh, great play safety. And I was like, wait a minute, what did he what did he do right before the snap? So I back it up. And sure enough, you see him and he stands there and he looks at the formation. He looks left, he looks right, and he slides right before the snap. Not early enough that the quarterback could do anything about it. Right before the snap, he takes a half step left and then just shoots straight forward because he knew that's where the gap was going to be. And he knew that's where the ball was going to be. And he nails the guy for like a six-yard TFL for safety. And you can yeah. tell his tape is chalk full of stuff like that um
1: yeah i agree
0: uh, understands pass drops and depth he's not just a run gap shooter he's not just a big guy that's going to stack up the line he can do that as well um big time tfl machine on the run blitz lines up really well triggers just instantly for a guy his size his zero to 60 is electric um anyways tremendous i wrote in my notes just pure lb porn uh, blue chip player <laughs> i i watched this guy i had eight minute cut up of taven cons uh, zaven cons and it, two minutes in i was ready to stop not because I didn't just enjoy it but I was like I've seen what I need to see like this yeah. guy has it all he's got size range instincts trigger physicality can go forward can go backward complete player super exciting absolutely deserving of the bed narek He's one of the few inside linebackers in this draft that's worthy of picking
1: up high, and yes, that means first round. I got to him real late because I got to studying draft prox- prospects real late. I remember when you first told me about him. I I don't think I like really watched him for the first time till like a month mm-hmm. after that because I was like, oh, I'll get to linebackers later, and that was when I was working on the, um, Koromoa episode. I was watching mm-hmm. like all the linebackers at once, and then I was gonna like pick which one I was going to do. I ended up doing a Wusukor because he was my favorite of the bunch. Wasn't as big a fan of uh, Parsons. And I, I think I might end up with even Zayvon Collins ranked higher than Parsons when all is said and done. But I remember I tweeted the night that I really dug into Collins and I was like, when God made this guy, he was showing off. <laughs> because I remember that. athletically, I mean, size, speed, physicality, He doesn't just check every single box. He smashes it. He's just an absolute freak. Like Tremaine Edmonds, I think caliber of athlete, and people remember like Tremaine was a freak of nature when he was coming out. I think he's that kind of athlete. Now, I don't want to say it's with a better processor, (laughs) with a better processor, but that's a little bit what my concern is. Because the the way that you process in that defense and that play where, you know, he shot in backfield and got a safety, it was kind of indicative of that, where it's like if you're in a three down front. The B gaps are going to be like if you're playing tight, for instance, which is four, zero, four. So four technique, zero, four technique. B gaps are going to be taken up every single time. You literally never, ever have to worry about scraping and getting to a B gap you are the they, linebacker coaches call it nesting a, a nest technique, which is a different kind of read in a three down front where it's like, I I'm responsible for the a, if we're playing a lag nose, it's only front side. A, if, if the nose is just playing straight up, I'm reading both. And then I bounce out to C, which is what he did on the tackle for loss. It's like, I'm reading here. And then I run through here, which again, it's not that it's a simple read, but it's a different kind of read because in like a traditional four down front or like a five, two uh, they call it level, level, spill, level, spill, lever, excuse me. And then you're trying to incorporate the nickel into the run fit. Is he there or is he not? Like, do I have to follow the pull and hit inside shoulder or outside shoulder? Like it's a different kind of processing uh, in those kind of defenses. And nobody in the NFL runs the kind of defense that Tulsa runs, which is three down, drop an eight, vast majority of the time he didn't really do any match zones it was mostly spot drop stuff over the middle which you know he's still ranging and everything like that that's probably what you want to do with him anyway but he doesn't really have any experience in man coverage doesn't really have any experience with like complex match zones mm. principles I, i'm with you on the match zone but he's got some
0: man on tape that he's very little very not, little not tons but he looked so fluid in man that i was like but you you know you worry. compare
1: it to you, you compare it to some of the other guys coming out in this class and it's like it's it's again it's not that he can't do it athletically mm-hmm. you can do whatever you want him to do right it's that we haven't seen it so it's a harder projection mm-hmm. will he go in the first round honestly that just depends on how free agency shakes out who goes who doesn't go like lord knows every single year i keep telling the packers to get Talented inside linebacker on the first round. And they keep ignoring me. Probably and won't do clear, it clear
0: When I say first round, I mean, bottom half of the first round. he's is oh, yeah, incredibly yeah, yeah, talented yeah. and he could go in the top half of the first round if there was need, but that's not because of the position he plays. That's not a value, right? You're going to pick quarterbacks. You're going to pick offensive tackles. You might pick the top corner. You're definitely going to pick some receivers. You're going to pick premium positions in the first 16 picks. If Zayvon Collins goes in the first round, when I say first round, it's going to be the bottom half of the first round. It's probably even going to be the bottom third of the first round when you're getting down into the late 20s and early 30s. And you're looking at the fact that five offensive tackles are off the board, probably four or five quarterbacks are off the board. Three or four receivers are off the board. At least a couple corners are off the board. Maybe the best edge rushers and defensive tackles have started to drip off the board. Now you're getting down to the place where you're going to grab a center, right? The best center in the draft is going to go in the late 20s, early 30s. The best inside linebacker is a possibility. Now, not all those guys fit in those slots, but we're not talking about top 15. We're talking about bottom end as a value. And again, like Brett said, if there's a team that needs it, he's a good fit.
1: Yeah. And, and I think there are teams that need linebacker in the back end of the first, but you know, a lot of them are also going to need offensive line. Some of them might need receivers. So it's, it's a very like maybe kind of scenario where it's it's going to have to be like the defensive coaching staff being like, we can, we can figure it out. And then the GM just trusting his defensive coaches. And, and I've talked to some defensive coaches that say like, it takes a year to figure it out. If you're trying to rewire linebackers brain and some teams you know especially in the back half of the first round if they're in a super bowl window they, they don't want to deal with that so i could see him going to in the top of day two to a team that maybe has more time to work with him like uh jeff olbrick who's a great linebacker coach who's in the new dc with the jets you you know they apparently they're shopping cj most put it's him it's in it's top of round Olbrich two with collins ah. But, you know, they're the perfect team for him. He'd be so good. He'd be so good. Ah. So I I don't know where he's going to go. He's extraordinarily talented. There's some things that, again, I'm not saying they're concerns, but they're questions because we just don't know. But he's a great player. At least we know that. And I think that, honestly, going in the top of the second to a team like the Jets that I think – especially over the last week. And you see some of the moves they're making in free agency. I think they very much qualify for on the rise. Oh, for sure. That'd be a great situation for him. And I think he'll end up being a better player and he'll make more money in the long run. If he goes in the top of the second, than maybe if he goes in the bottom of the first, which I don't say that about everybody, but I think in his particular situation, I, I I would say that that qualifies. Um, my second gem who I'm working on a film room with, which will be released Friday. I don't know when this is coming out. Also probably Friday, but I know the film room's coming out Friday. I've already finished it, by the way, EJ. I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. It actually is coming out Friday. Far be it for me
0: to talk about the timeline for film rooms. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no,
0: but this, just so listeners know, this is the guy that if I was really going to annoy Brett, I would have put on the top of my list. Like Johnson, I would put have. on top of my list. <laughs> yeah, no, and just so you know, when we said each other these list, he just would have crossed it off and be like, No, he's mine. Right. This is he's this is guy. his guy. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh I am a um oh man, that has some burn on the back. Don't try to talk and drink whiskey at the same time. Girls, it goes in your lungs, and that's not good for you, kids. <coughs> Don't try this at home. He's, he's that a was a mistake, he's a professional stunt man. Oh, I just breathed whiskey. That didn't feel good. Um, but I am the president of the Jalen Phillips fan club. And I remember I was on uh, Trevor Sycamore's show doing a, a mock draft for the Jets. He was mocking for the Jags. And I, I was talking to him and his producer before and after the show. And I was saying like, If I I get a nice trade down scenario and I'm going with, like, I ended up taking a quarterback, but it's like, if I believe in Sam Darnold and I'm doing a trade down scenario, like, by a few picks, there's really not a limit to where I'll take Jalen Phillips in this class. (laughs) Like, like I'm looking at Atlanta at four as a realistic possibility because Mm -hmm. with what they're doing with Matt Ryan's contract, like, they're clearly not moving off Matt Ryan. And I don't think they're taking a quarterback at this point. I think they're going to try to run it back because they saw that they lost seven or eight one score games last year. And I think they think they're close. So I don't think they're going to take a quarterback. I think they're going to want to reload with top end talent at at the top of each draft, do some work in free agency um, and and figure it out. And so like, I'm looking at Atlanta as a legitimate possibility for Jalen Phillips and people look at me like I'm crazy, but I'm like, when you look at this guy's talent, I, I haven't heard anybody complain about anything about his film at all. Like in terms of physical ability, size, length, twitch, fluidity, uh, technique, hand motor, use. hand use. He's got everything. People forget that when he was a true freshman the same year as Chase Young, he was seen on par with chase young as a prospect a potential future number one overall kind of guy and then he went to miami and had just as good a season as chase young did his last year at osu and everybody's like uh, i don't know it's like how how do you not know the guy's a freak of nature extremely well developed the one problem that i'll give you is like the concussion history but you know like i've said anybody's career can be over on any given play for anything. Like not just concussions, like Ryan Shazier was making a tackle and it went wrong for him and his career was over and he didn't really have concussion problems. Like you can get hurt in a physical sport like football. So if you don't take Jalen Phillips, because you think he might get hurt, that just seems like you're drafting to lose to me. Like if you're intentionally passing on a prospect that I think, Like, is my grade quite as high as Chase Young? No, but it's barely below it, and it's mostly medical that's driving that below. But, like, on tape, they're not that different. Like, Chase is a little bit more explosive, a little bit more bendy. But I think he's better than Bradley Chubb was coming out. I think he's a better prospect than the Bosa brothers coming out. And I love the Bosa brothers. I had both of them as, like, top five, top ten picks. I think Jalen Phillips is a better pass rusher than the Bosa's coming out. And that's, again, I don't say that lightly. My comparison for him was a hybrid between J.J. Watt and T.J. Watt. I fucking love this dude. He is a really good player. And I'm doing a film room on that to explain that there's really no limit to his talent. He can come in and be a 10-sack guy from his first year in the league. There's not a whole lot of guys you can say that about. And the concussion history is really the only hang-up that people have about him. But I, I don't really agree with it because, again... Anybody can get concussed. Anybody can get hurt. Is it potentially more likely? I guess, but it's not guaranteed. So if you're passing on him because he might get hurt, it just, I don't, I don't understand that logic.
0: Yeah, it's added risk. And I, like you waited on Collins, I waited on Phillips because I was just getting to the defensive ends and the edges. And I knew that you were super excited about him. And I'd seen a bunch of other people that were equally excited about him. I'm not as excited about him as you are, but that doesn't mean I'm not excited about him. Um, the things you see on tape is it's got tremendous size. And that's both just physical frame size and hand size and length. And you see him use all of those things really well. You see a lot of guys with all those characteristics but they don't put them together. And Phillips's ability to blend his feet, his hands, his length, his strength and then his hand use is the thing that I'm always looking for in both defensive tackles, defensive ends and edges. Anybody rushing the passer, I want to be able to see a couple of different hand moves and hopefully a combination thereof, right? There are not that and everybody's like, oh, yeah, you know, college coaching is great. Everybody should have that. Yeah, I don't see it that often. That's why no. Aaron Donald when people are like Aaron Donald's too small. I was like Aaron Donald's going to be fine because he can link three hand moves together in half a second. And he does Ooh. it repeatedly like that was the thing on Donald's tape is he was like. He, you know, his, he's well on record with martial arts training as being a basis for his hand usage. And a lot of guys are Chuck Smith and that whole school of, you know, anyways, Donald was one of those guys that his hands were lightning and he used them in combination all the time. And that's rare on college film. You'll see a guy with a move. If you're lucky, a guy with two moves. And if you're really lucky, that guy will link those two moves together. (laughs) And it doesn't happen that often with Phillips incredibly liquid. And you see that you see the redirect, you see a plan, you see him being able to readjust. You see him being able to set people up, knock their hands down and then come back inside hard. And because again, he's fluid and his top half has made it very well to his bottom half he's good to go. He's got length, strength. He can stab. He can push. He can bully if he needs to, but he can also at his size, fluidly get around you. And that's also fairly rare. So yeah, I got done and was like, "Mm, in terms of on field, in terms of tape, in terms of all the things you're looking for, in terms of traits, attributes, and skills, the ability to use those traits and attributes, he's all good to go. If you're worried about his head, sure. Uh, medical checks are going to be a little bit more Wild West this year with no combine. And there will be teams that drop him because of that. But if you're just looking at the tape, if you're looking at what he brings in terms of size, length, strength, speed, and then technique, the ability to fuse all that together, very rushes come with a plan, get nailed, learn from that, and do something else. Phillips is right up near the top of this class.
1: And, By the way, one of the other things people are going to bring up as a quote unquote negative is that he retired from football while he was at UCLA. And people are like, oh, well, maybe he doesn't love the game. Mm. It's not what happened. UCLA has a policy where if you get three concussions while you're there, they force you to retire. That was not his choice. And he had a string of just. Really bad luck after his true freshman season where he broke out and was, you know, again, looked at on par with Chase Young, potential future number one overall kind of guy because he's a freakish talent, number one player in high school when he was coming out. Like, he's always been that dude. You know, he's on a a, a bike on campus, and he gets hit by a car, mangles his wrist, Um, you know, gets a high ankle sprain, which those take forever to go away, finally recovers, then gets a high ankle sprain on the other ankle you know, gets a, a couple concussions then he gets one more. And then UCLA says, that's number three, you're out. And he's like, what the hell? And so they made him retire. And so, you know, he, he went and worked as like a, an assistant in a law firm and, you know, took some odd jobs here and there, trying to figure out life after football, um, eventually landed with music and he was working on that. And then all of a sudden he's on a, a, a family cruise, I think it was like in Puerto Rico or something like that. And Stanford, uh, David Shaw gives a call and is like, Hey, um, like we don't have that policy that UCLA does. You want to come play for us? And then word gets around that Stanford's trying to lure him out of retirement. And then Miami gets in on it. And Miami's music school, like keep in mind, UCLA is one of the best music schools in the country, but they weren't going to let him play. And Miami's music school is great too. And he really wanted to, to take producing classes and stuff like that. Cause that's one of his other passions. And so he chose Miami because of their music program sat out all, all year, spent a year working on his body, getting his playing weight back up, getting healthy. Uh, and then he came out this year after uh, Rousseau sat out when he wasn't even expecting to get that many snaps. Rousseau sat out and then all of a sudden he's playing every snap on the left defensive end, and he has a better year than Rousseau did the year before, maybe not in terms of like sack production, but in terms of overall impact and like pressures per snap and everything like that. He was a better player than Rousseau was after not playing for like almost two years. And uh, don't question that he loves football. He did not go through all of that because he doesn't love football. The dude loves the game. He didn't want to retire. He was forced to retire, got another chance. Proved that he can still do it at an extremely high level. And I think he's going to do it again in the NFL. Like he is amazing. I love everything about this guy. Uh, Like he's, I I will pound the table pretty much starting anywhere from Miami on down. I will pound the table because there's very few football players in this entire class that I believe in that I know are going to be really good in the NFL more than Jalen Phillips. I'll just say that.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned Russo. So Miami's one of those teams this year because of this situation and a couple of others that has three guys playing defensive end who are all in the conversation to go in the first two rounds, maybe three rounds. So you got Phillips, you got Russo, and then you got Roche. And of those three, Phillips is the best football player. Russo is the best specimen right? If you want a pure Mm -hmm. freak on terms of size and just athleticism, like Russo is the athlete of the group. Phillips is a tremendously good athlete, but Phillips is a better football player. Again, his ability to leverage those gifts into actual production on the football field happens way more often than Russo. Russo is like, wild and raw and incredibly talented and could end up being he's one of those super high ceiling guys right if somebody gets a hold of him learns how to mold him he's kind of like josh allen was as a quarterback right it's like wow all these gifts but he's all over the place and we need somebody like brian Dable and ken dorsey to focus this guy and it's the same with russo like russo is super long and strong and just you look at him and you're like oh my god he could do anything he wanted to as an athlete But as a football player, Phillips produces more than either of those two guys. And I like both the other guys for what they are. Roche is the third guy in the group, but that shouldn't be a detractor because the two guys in front of him are Phillips and Russo. Like Roche still makes plays, but Phillips is the best polished mold of athlete and football player who's making impact more consistently on the football field.
1: I would agree with that. Who is uh, who's your number two, Jeff?
0: I'm going to go with a guy that reminds me a lot of Phillips and a lot of people are going to say what based on that. And it's Ronnie Perkins. And he's sort of a cross mm. between Phillips and Russo, if you want to talk about him. So I put out a tweet about Ronnie Perkins because I watched uh, the Texas tech game uh i actually sort of ground to a halt watching some some tape before that and i was like i just need something you you know this part in scouting where you watch yeah. two or four guys in a row they're like man this guy's not as good as i thought he was or i need some that fun was, that was just a boring <laughs> tape and i was like and i i didn't know perkins but i just threw him on and about two minutes into his texas tech tape i was like holy he's like this guy why is nobody talking about this guy? So, Perkins has all the tools. He's 6'3, he's got length, power, speed, and hand usage. Again, something I always look for. Plays with a crazy high motor, always hustles to the ball. And again, you say, Oh, football players, they hustle to the ball. Lots of them don't when you watch tape, especially all 22. You can see whether they're running to the ball at the end of the play. Um, Perkins is that guy as a defensive end that will do a loop rush around the tackle, miss the quarterback, keep running, and track him down on a scramble as the first tackler 12 or 15 yards down the field. The play that I put up on Twitter uh, that got, mm, let's just say, legendary response. I think it's my most liked tweet ever. It got almost 400 likes. So Oklahoma fans, we hear you. (laughs) <laughs> you're out there. I was really surprised by that. That's a lot more likes than a typical tweet for me gets. Uh, you know, that doesn't budge Brett off his pedestal, 400 likes, whatever. But for me, I was like, <laughs> wow, a lot of people like Ronnie Perkins. And it's the fact that he has wheels. The put the play that I put up on Twitter is him catching a running back 25 yards downfield in the opposite side of the formation that he took off of. And he's running step for the step with this guy and runs him down. And he is a fully 6'3", up in the 260s, 250, tied 250s, low 260s. And he runs down the running back from behind, 25 yards off the opposite side of the formation. You don't see that a lot, folks. That's not typical. And impact is the other thing that sets him apart. You watch a lot of these players. doesn't matter their position. And you watch a whole tape, and they make three or four great plays, you know, one a quarter. That's pretty good. Then you watch a guy and he makes two, three plays a quarter, and he has eight or ten plays per tape. And you're like, wow, that's amazing. If you watch Ronnie Perkins versus Texas Tech, he either made impact on every play or demonstrated a really high-level skill on every snap. That's Mm -hmm. rare. Like Even if he didn't win, it was like, "Oh, look at that swim mover. Oh, geez, he was in the backfield. He almost took the handoff. You know, uh, he almost intercepts a pitch in that game. He's in the backfield fast enough that the quarterback is literally just pitching the ball and he's right there and basically just nails the quarterback. He could have grabbed the football. Um, Insane efficiency for somebody at that position. He's young. He is a true junior. This guy is three years removed from high school. Tons of potential. Sky is the limit for this guy, like Russo, but he is more impactful right now than Russo is. He is not as tall. He is not as long as Russo, but he is fast. He is strong. You see him use his hands. Some people will say as a as a shot, he's not super bendy, right? He Doesn't get super low on his rushes around the edge. And they're right. He's not upright and stiff, but he doesn't get absolutely you know damn near horizontal but going you know around the aziz
1: ogilari is the same kind of way where it's like there's a difference between bend around the edge and then just getting your entire body yeah ankle flexing that yeah, allows like, you to just kind of
0: you know corner like a like a gp motorbike. um but the bottom line is with his length and his strength, it doesn't really matter that he doesn't get that low because guess what? He gets around the corner efficiently and in a hurry, and he is in the quarterback's business. So Perkins is a guy that I'm surprised is not getting more love because the Texas Tech game wasn't the only game that he did really well in. One of our 10 gems from offense, Tevin Jenkins, the great tackle from Ohio State, or from Oklahoma State, he gave him a game. Like he was one of the few guys that really just tormented Jenkins and anybody that can do that gets my attention. And then you combine that with the Texas tech game where he was incredibly efficient, made a ton of impact and had a bunch of flash plays. Ronnie Perkins is a guy that more people should be talking about.
1: Jenkins. uh, I know Jenkins got hurt part of the way through the OU game and then he was done for the year, but one of his last snaps Was Perkins coming off the edge, and then he kind of gave that um, Khalil Mack, you know, long arm move where he gets inside uh, the left shoulder and just (laughs) just forklifts him back. Nobody does that to Tevin Jenkins. We just had him in our ten offensive gems episode. That was one of the only times I saw him beat all year, and it was in like one of the first six rushes from Perkins against him, where he just the speed to power that he brings with a 6'3", 250, 260-something frame uh, is unreal. Like you said, not super bendy, not terrible bend. No. You know, like Rousseau is somebody who I don't think really bends at all. Uh, but Perkins, I think, is a little bit more bendy than him while also bringing speed to power. He had 32 pressures on only 170-something pass rush snaps last year. Like, that's one every like five and a half rushes. That's insane. Like in terms of like pass rush productivity and win rate and everything like that, like that might even be better than Jalen Phillips. I think Jalen Phillips has better tools, but uh, in terms of just win rate, <laughs> like that's that's absurdly high. And again, he, he didn't play all the snaps. Uh, he was more of like a sub guy for them. Uh, ironically, the first time I saw him was last year when I was watching Gallimore because mm-hmm. OU had a lot of dudes on that defense last year. Like, they were a really good defense, primarily because of talent. Uh, and I remember watching Gallimore, and I saw this dude just flying off the edge, and I was like, who the hell is that? And I looked it up, and it was Ronnie Perkins, who was a sophomore at the time. And I was like, all right, I'm going to file that one away. Uh, mm-hmm. and then lo and behold, when I'm watching Tevin Jenkins, I'm like, who's that dude that just put Tevin Jenkins on it? Oh, it's Ronnie Perkins. Okay. I get it. Okay. I know who that is. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's, it's cool to see. He doesn't have as many tools, I think as Phillips, but the ones he has, he knows how to push and maximize and he will set guys up. He'll use that lever, right? Again, that length, get to the outside, get under a guy and jack him up and then duck and go around the outside. And then the next time, and this is one of the things I liked about Phillips as well, is he'll do that and he'll stick his arm out and you see the tackle go, Oh no, I know what's coming. And he'll ghost him and go inside. So ghost rush is, I got you. And I'm going to come across your face when you reach to counter my arm. And you see Perkins do that. He'll go two, maybe two times around the outside and really get that guy moving back. And he's like, Whoa, this guy's got power. So he goes and he braces and he sets outside and Perkins uses the speed to slip inside and just crush the quarterback. So really really fun player i think um some people are hung up i believe he had a suspension uh, you know might be one of the reasons that people are off of him but boy you watch that guy on tape and look out talent all over the place at a premium position and really quiet for a guy with that much skill there i i would guess a majority Of draft fans don't know the name ronnie perkins because he's not going to be a guy that is typically mocked in the first round um or maybe even the second but that's a mistake like if you don't take ronnie perkins by the second and you need edge talent you're gonna have to tell me you know who the six or seven guys you have in front of them are like aziz is up there for sure you got phillips up there There's some other guys, depending on what style of team you are. Again, if you want a big towering guy that's more of a five that's a sort of true 4-3 defensive end, he might not be your flavor. Um, But in terms of just pure talent and, like you said, effectiveness getting to the quarterback, there's not a lot of guys in this draft that are more effective than Ronnie Perkins at that.
1: Also keep in mind the suspension um, was for failed drug test. Some teams are going to care about that. Some teams, cough, cough, Kansas City, will not give a shit. <laughs> Just honest, honestly speaking, some teams like cough, cough, Kansas City that may or may not want to be replacing Frank Clark decently soon here,
0: mm-hmm. they won't
1: care. They won't care at all. So, not again, when they watch that tape. Not when they watch that tape. And, again, if you're going to get him maybe in round two, which is possible. Again, the edge rankings for everybody totally. all over the place. Yeah, Everybody's totally. got him ranked totally I see Ojalari ranked first for some people, Quiddy pay for some people, Jalen Phillips for some people, Ronnie Perkins is like up there in the top two or three for people like DJ, like edge rankings are so all over the place this year. He can go anywhere from like mid to late first round to mid to late second round. And I even top of the third scenario. If people are, if
0: people have done their homework and again, we don't get to see that. We don't get to talk to the coaches. We don't get to talk to his teammates and see, you know, does he love football? Um, is he a guy that's, you know, always selling out for the team? He sure looks like he is on tape, but again, we don't know all that stuff. Scouts do, they get to interact with his teammates, his high school coaches. They dig. And, you know, some teams, again, will have no problem with what they find and be like, yep, he's got a first round grade. Other teams will be like, nah,
1: if he's still there in the late third, we'll take him. Yeah. Um, my third gem here is uh, a Washington Husky defensive tackle who did not play in 2020 because of opt out, but he did Where, go to the senior Washington? bowl.
0: What, what part uh, of I think country? it's in
1: the, I think it's in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, you live there. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Drink everybody at home. <laughs> Number two. It's
0: an,
1: for the ins- day. it's an inside joke from a couple of podcasts ago, but we heard you. Um, So he went to the senior bowl Immediately started whooping ass. Might be the only guy that I saw beat Creed Humphrey, to be Uh, honest, all week. Day one. Yep. Day one, where Creed is normally the guy, you know, throwing people over his hip, uh, whereas Levi got him and threw him over his hip. And he is extremely powerful, uh, extremely quick for his size. From what I saw on tape, played with an excellent motor. I mean, again, he he was doing the dirty work in that defense. Again, it was a lot of odd fronts. Not as much. They would go four down more than, say, like a defense like Tulsa, which is like three down pretty much all the time. Um, but a lot of odd where it's like, I'm playing nose. I'm getting double teamed, and I know I'm getting double teamed, and he still won a lot. Like his pass rush win rate. Again, he got low to mid 30s and pressures, which for somebody who played nose as much as him and nose into three down front as much as him is like pretty insane. Yep. I, I was talking to Craig Stout about it. Who the chiefs film guy that friend of the podcast. Loved. Yep. And I, I, I was like, am I wrong for seeing a little bit of Chris Jones in there? And he's like, you're not, he's not quite Chris Jones, which I agree. Like Chris Jones was more freaky than he yep. was coming out. But in terms of like shoot up field aggression and when things are looking right, they are looking right. I mean, he throws people all, all over the place. It reminded me a lot of Chris Jones, not now, but when he was coming out of Mississippi state and, um, and in a defensive tackle class, which I think is really top heavy, meaning outside of the top three or four guys, again I can kind of take it or leave it. He's the one that I really like to go in, in possibly the first round. Um, I think even just the one day of practice he had at the Senior Bowl before he was out with a hip flexor. At least I think it was a hip flexor. Um, which you know, again, I'm not surprised by that. First time he played football in a year, so. He went hard on the first day, kicked everybody's ass, and then was hurt. <laughs> so it happens. But that that kind of proved like, hey, if you get him one-on-one as like a three technique, he's going to give you a lot more pressure than he would have at Washington where he played nose. And he proved that down in Mobile. And I, I think a lot of teams are going to look at just that one day of practice and be like, I can work with that. I can work with that athleticism. I can work with that motor. I can work with that power. I'll figure it out. As for where he goes in the draft, again, no idea because this defensive tackle free agency class is so damn good and so many people are going to fill that need in free agency that we might not see any DTs go in the first round. But if there is a team that needs one, Levi, I think, is the one that goes.
0: If they need
1: that sort of three penetrating, I really think
0: that's the guy. If they need somebody that's just pure stout, I think Barmore is the guy that goes in one just because of his pedigree, right? If they need that guy that they're just like, we're just going to put him there. We're not going to worry about it. He's going to give us a little pressure. Nobody's going to go by him. That's Barmore. If you need a guy, if you have that guy and you need the other guy, that's Levi, right? So it really depends on team fit. I went back. I watched some 2019 tape of Washington, not to watch Levi, but to watch his teammate, Joe Tryon, who also opted out. Who's an edge and very talented for Washington? Didn't make our list, but I was watching Joe Tryon. It's pretty hard to watch Joe Tryon when Levi's doing his thing, and when both of them were hitting on all cylinders, man, Pac-12 opponents were not happy. Like those yeah. are two talented, athletic guys, and when they were coming on the same side and they were both hitting, it's really hard. They collapsed a lot of good lines, and I was, you know, it's always fun to go back a year, and I'm like, oh look, that's Lemieux, right? Mm-hmm. The Oregon guard that we really liked. I'm like, Fancy. oh yeah, Levi just worked the hell out of him. Like, who was that guy? That was Lemieux? Oh, that guy that plays for the Giants? Yeah, he just wrecked him. You know, oh, he's he's hassling Herbert, right? Tron's coming around the edge, making Justin Herbert run out of the pocket. So always fun to go back here and tape and see that. But Levi is that guy that, Everybody's looking for that guy. There's typically a couple of guys. We had Kinlaw last year. Um, You know, you mentioned watching the Oklahoma tape for the same thing. Everybody's looking for that flash sort of disruptive three tech, right? And there's always two or three candidates. And this class doesn't really have, like, people are like, is it Levi? Uh, is it
1: a limb Is McNeil? it Twyman?
0: Twi- Twyman, yeah. a limbic Like who is, th- where is that? Because everybody's looking for that role, right? That flashy penetrating three tech. that guy that can be Aaron Donald light and really cause a lot of havoc, not lined up straight over the nose, but in addition to the heavy or moving to the nose in a lighter sort of dime set past situations, you want a guy that could create quick interior pressure. And we can go back draft after draft and tell you who that guy was, right? Sheldon Rankins was that guy, right? You, you always have that guy. This draft doesn't have that guy. Like there's not one guy that everybody points to. Everybody kind of points at each other and go, who do you have in that role? And it's a, uh, I think Levi's got the best shot. He's a very good player either way. Like he, like you said at the top scheme wise, you don't typically play a guy like that at nose, but he did fine when he was at nose and that's a credit to his talent. You line that guy up, you know, off shoulder of a guard and say go beat that one guy in front of you he's beaten guys that play in the nfl Mm -hmm. right like on tape he's beaten starters starters
1: starters that are currently
0: in the nfl so that's a pretty good indication if you line him up and use him that way you're gonna get production out of him
1: yeah uh i'm just i'm a i'm a huge fan of him And I mean, that whole 2019 Washington defense, again, when you're watching it and you're like, here's Levi, there's uh there's Molden, I mean, basically the entire secondary. And then you're like, man, no wonder Herbert had a rough day. Holy shit. He was he was under siege. He was running for his life. The DBs were sticky. And just knowing what we know now about Herbert and then just kind of getting that context of like, man, that Washington defense was really damn talented. Like you kind of understand now like why why he was struggling a little bit
0: (laughs) yeah the huskies don't get a ton of national love um and you know they haven't had that guy they thought they had that guy at quarterback um he's currently sitting in indianapolis i'm still interested to see what he can do uh but they haven't had that guy at quarterback and that tends to lower your profile right when you don't have um the quarterback that's leading you up in the bowl standings pac 12s taken a bit of a beating certainly nationally uh, in bowl rankings in results um they are they are not the sec right so but there's a lot like last year's utah defense right basically mm-hmm. all of last year's utah defense got drafted right their linebacker or Francis, will be. bradley and i their entire secondary, Jalen Johnson, Justin Black, like all those guys, like both safeties, both corners, the entire defense, you know, Lecky Foto, all those guys got drafted. And you're like, man, that was a, that was a killer defense. They're not the only one. It's a lot of good players. But again, it's not that they haven't had that power team that's going to go take on Ohio State head to head and just crush them. Right. So. Yeah. Um, It tends to get lost, but yeah, you go back and look at some of that tape and you're like, who's that guy? Oh, yeah, that's that's a starting
1: right guard for the Giants. He just whooped his ass. Oh, okay, Yeah. And and the hard part, not to get too derailed on it, but, you know, college football is really about recruiting, especially these days. And it used to be Southern California, which is one of the best recruiting hotbeds in the entire country. You can say Texas, you can say South Florida, Southern California is right there. And the SEC of high school football is the Trinity League in Orange County, which my alma mater, modern day, not to our own horn, dominates. Like okay, modern day is yeah. one of the best, if not the best, high school football program in the entire country. And they used to be what fed Pac 12, UCLA, mostly USC, sure. some Oregon here and there. Um, then you look at like, you know, guys coming out of Centennial, Long Beach Poly, obviously Orange Lutheran, Servite. Bosco is now the other powerhouse that's mm. modern day's main rival these days. And you said Long Beach Poly. <laughs> yeah, it's where Juju went. I watched Juju play in high school live mm. against modern day and he was a monster. Mm. Matt Growl. <laughs> oh, did he did he go to Poly? Really? I thought he mm. went to Mission Viejo or something like that. No. Maybe I'm wrong. He's Long Beach but guy. either way, you look at, you know, just modern day quarterbacks alone and how many guys either are in the NFL, were in the NFL, or about to be in the NFL. And they all used to go to Pac-12 schools. But now recruiting is a national thing. So JT Daniels is at Georgia. Mm-hmm. You know, Bryce Young is at Alabama. Um, yep. You know, like all, all of these great five-star recruits, are not going to the Pac-12 anymore out of Southern California. They're going elsewhere. They're going yeah. to Ohio State.
0: It doesn't have the Clemson. same luster.
1: It DJ it, Uyunglele, like went to Clemson. Normally, it, yep. that guy would be ripe for USC or UCLA. He's not sure. there anymore. So that's that's a big reason why the Pac-12 is getting its ass kicked is because all their best players are leaving.
0: Yeah, they know in problem. terms of the league stack ranking that the Pac-12 is It's still a power five league, but it's not at the top. Right. And they know that. And there will be a resurgence, all things like, is it ever going to take overtake the SEC? I doubt it. The SEC is up here and everybody else is below that. um, Well below that. But I'm going to split our audience right in half with with who recognizes this quote
1: and who doesn't. Oh, God.
0: (laughs) San Dimas high school football rules.
1: (laughs) Wait, uh, Bill and Ted. (laughs) There we go. There we go. See, I, I had a good childhood. To, I
0: was just listening to you talk about modern day, and all I could think of was, I don't have anything to say at the podium. San Dimas high school football rules.
1: Like, I yeah. still think, I still think one of the hardest I ever laughed in my life was when they were pronouncing Socrates. So great, so great. so great. <laughs> all right, so
0: younger, younger watchers and listeners, go and check out the original Bill and Ted's Ex- Excellent Adventure. Don't, don't bother with the sequel um just start, <laughs> start with the original anyways that's what we're talking about so moving on um we talked about ronnie perkins uh i'm gonna double up on oklahoma because hey oklahoma fans have been really good to me this offseason no it's trey norwood the corner out of oklahoma who had a tremendous senior bowl now trey norwood um not the biggest corner uh probably going to end up playing in the slot most likely in the nfl going to end up playing in the slot Smaller corner. Great change of direction skills, super fluid hips. When a scout talks about fluid hips, we're talking about a guy that can pivot and pivot back seamlessly. So somebody gives him a little stab and go, he can go inside, outside, and not lose a ton of speed, stay with that guy, stay level. Um, Very instinctive. Again, his instincts are taking him where his speed necessarily can't. Is he going to run the fastest 40? He's not. Um, he's on the shorter side. He's quick. He's very, very quick. Is he super fast in long speed? I don't think he probably will be. It'd be tough to tell, uh, with all the pro days the way they are, but his instincts combined with that change of direction is a just killer mix at the slot position. Um, and he smoked a lot of guys. He had a tremendous senior bowl, went up against everybody and, you know, yeah, lost a couple of reps and corners are going to do that, but he also won a bunch of reps has some dog in him, absolutely will stick with routes, won't let up, and not afraid to stick his face right up in there and let receivers know that it's going to be a very long day. And that's what you want in a slot corner. That's what you need in a slot corner because, again, they're going to get burned. They're going to give up some gains. Nobody is an island that is, as a slot corner. But when he wins, he's going to tell you about it. Um, and that's what you want to see is that competitiveness. And he's definitely got that. He's usually in range to contest the catch, and that says something. Slot corner is incredibly difficult because every route is a two-way go. That means every time they can't just use the boundary and shove guys over to the sideline. They don't know left or right, and the offensive player does, right? That's the offensive player's advantage. They know where they're going. Trey was one of those guys that even at the end of the rep, even if he doesn't get his hand on the ball, he's usually close enough to do so. And that says again that he's using those change of direction skills, that he's using those instincts, he's using film study, and he's there. He's he has the ability to make the play. Doesn't always do it, but he's there. So really like Trey Norwood's game, loved his senior bowl, went back and watching all these other guys, Perkins and everybody else at Oklahoma and, and offensive players against Oklahoma's defense. No word shows up. He makes plays. He is in the mix. Um, he's a guy that gets his hand on the ball a fair amount. Love his game.
1: And the thing about the senior bowl is those one-on-ones are so slanted towards receivers. Like, it's insane. Like, how it works is the receiver, you know, before the rep goes up to the quarterback and says, I'm running this route. Throw it to me. Corner has no idea. But the thing is, like, they're not – they're not beholden to an offensive concept. They're not beholden to the timing that comes with. There's A no pass read with rush. It. There's yeah. no read. Like there's no progression. It's basically just like, I have four seconds to lose this guy. And like the, um, who was the Ohio state guy the year before KJ Hill, Hill. KJ Hill for sure. And I remember it, it like everybody was losing their mind about him you know, running routes and practice. And it's like, well, yeah, he gave a quadruple move on a slant. Like the yeah. quarterback would be dead by the time you threw yeah, it. So he's like, winning he's at, one-on-ones. He's winning at
0: three and a half seconds. His quarterback <laughs> yeah. would be meat.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, these, these, rece- these drills are just so slanted towards receivers because corners basically just have to guess correctly based on like split. Like that's why guys play like 10 yards off because they're like, I'm not playing in the structure for defense. I have no idea what to do here. And so if you can just stick with receivers and lose maybe only at 60% of the time, you're fine. <laughs> like that just means that you, if you're able to stick with them when you guess correctly and you just show off that you have the movement skills, like that's good enough for me because receivers are going to win 80% of those. If you can just get that down to 60, I think I consider that like a top tier senior bowl performance, like get a couple PBUs in the week and you're fine. Um, And like my, my guy I'll, just going to my fourth gem, uh, Keith Taylor Jr., who's another Washington Husky, another corner from the Senior Bowl, was having that same problem where, like, he's a big 6'2 long press corner. Like, he's built like Namdi Uh For people that remember Namdi before the Eagles, when he was in Oakland, <laughs> he was a dominant press corner, just big, long, get his hands on you, and you're basically done. Like, nobody ever threw his way. Because he was just like Spider-Man out there. Um, and so Keith is built like Namdi. I'm not saying he's Namdi, but he's built like Namdi and he plays like Namdi, where he was lining up in press on every single rep. And any outside release down the boundary, he was smoking people. Because again, he's so long, so lanky, so physical. He just pinned guys to the boundary and there was nothing they could do. It took about three reps of that before receivers started walking up to the quarterback and saying, like, Hey, I'm i I'm going to run a slant. I'm going to, I'm going to run a dig. I'm going to run all these in breakers that in the structure of an actual defense, like they're running through the safety. They're running behind a linebacker sitting in an intermediate zone. Like those are some of the hardest routes for corners to cover, like in breaking routes from press with outside leverage are damn near impossible to cover unless you are an absolute freaky athlete like a Jalen Ramsey or something like that. Like the reason why you leave whole zone defenders over the middle is because those routes are almost impossible to cover, especially when, when you have no idea they're coming and the quarterback has five seconds to throw. So those drills were designed to make Taylor look bad. But in the realistic, I'll just call it realistic coverage scenarios where he's lining up in press and he's trying to shut down guys working down the boundary, he didn't get beat. And so I think he would play that exact same role in the NFL where it's like, hey, he's our press corner in the backside of three by one. He's our Prince of Mukamara. He's just going to go beat dudes up. Like you put him in Denver with Vic Fangio, starting by the end of the year. Unless they sign Kyle Fuller, which we'll see. But he's starting by the end of the year because he's really damn good in that role. And I think he's going to do that role in the NFL. Yeah, he's Kevin King Jr. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Ooh. That's that's gonna hurt some people.
0: I understand. That's gonna hurt some people. But <laughs> Kevin King, again, if you give him that, if you let him work with his gifts, right? It's almost six three. And you say you give him that sort of Sherman-esque release. Again, anything outside. You give him a little bit of inside leverage, you let him set his hips, a little bit of back to the cornerback, and you say, just press him to the boundary, just push him, right? doesn't have to be the fastest he's got great length he can occasionally get his head around and if he can't he can play through the catch basket and he's got that super long arm now i tend to like taylor's game a little bit better than i like kevin king coming out and i like kevin king coming out for what he was because again where king got exposed in in packers land is like yeah try and try and have him keep with a jitterbug right make him rotate pre-snap and get on anybody that's got a really quick change of direction that carries speed through a break. And you're going to see Kevin King come apart, especially if he's got to go to that inside. Um, But I think Taylor can do a little bit more of that. But again, that strength is, yeah, you're not getting anything in a vertical route and you're not getting anything from here to the sideline, (laughs) like anything inside. Again, I'm going to be passing that off to my safety, my slot defender, my, you know, inside linebacker and base, whatever it is. You know, short of 10 route. That that's all your stuff. This, I got this. And I don't have to be the fastest guy in the world, but I've got the sideline, I've got length, and I know when that ball's coming. You're not gonna get a lot of those over me, right? Like you said, he didn't get beat in those situations. It's whether he can hold up in the other things when defensive coordinators start to pull him around or make his responsibility be a little more vague. I'm thinking about stacks, right? He's not going to be great in stacks because again, the guy that he gets is the, is the trail guy that's going to break inside. You know, he's, he's going to give up some receptions, especially to fast NFL slot guys. So we'll see how he gets used, but I like his game. And he had a very good senior bowl. I, he was one of the guys that I put a check mark on after the senior bowl and said, nah, I need to go back and look at his tape again. Um, Because he, I think he played better at the senior bowl than I thought he expected than I expected him to. And it made me say, did I'm, you know, is, is, does he have a wider range or is it just yeah. really that thing that he's good at? So
1: I like his game. I think if you miss out on Patrick Sertan, who's the same kind of player, but he's just mm-hmm. better at it. Oh yeah. So, so physical. I think he's got better hips, a little bit more versatile, like, if you miss out on Sertan, you can get Taylor a lot later for and sure. get 70, 80% of Sertan, which I think some defenses can survive with. Again, like Sertan's the guy for that kind of corner and that kind of role, but there's only one of them. You know, 31 teams aren't going to get him. You know, like if you're not getting fairly or Farley can never remember how to pronounce it uh, or Sertan or Stokes or uh, the Northwestern kid. Like if you miss out on all those corners, Newsom. if you miss out on all those corners, because it's like, well, I got to get tackle. I got to get receiver like I got to get whatever. Yeah, I got to get whatever. Like he's he's the guy that you get later. Uh, Who would you say is your uh, number four gem? Uh, I'm going to go I'm going to rotate to safety Richie
0: Grant from University of Central Florida and Richie Grant again a guy that went to the senior bowl um, and there are a couple of uh, UCF secondary guys there their corner Robinson was there as well Um, Grant is a guy that has corner skills that plays safety and we've seen guys like this come out like Minka now I'm not saying Richie Grant is Minka Let's get that out of the way first. But Minka was a guy at Alabama that could absolutely rotate to the outside. He could go deep safety. He could play up at the line. Like, Richie Grant is that guy. And typically, one of the things that's really dirty about senior bowl drills that's not great is they'll match up safeties with wide receivers straight Mm -hmm. up. And that's fine if you're a deep third safety. Like, you should be able to cover that guy you're used to doing it in a different way you're certainly not pressing that guy as a deep third safety so press drills you might look a little bit silly you might not know how to do that but you should be able to cover that guy down the field if you're a like box safety and they match you up against an outside wide receiver which they do go back and watch the senior bowl tape this year it happens and everybody's like oh he roasted that guy i'm like well that guy's 225 he's 510 and he fills against running backs so yeah he might not be perfect against the 6'3", 215 guy from LSU,
1: <laughs> right?
0: Yeah. He's probably not going to win that rep. Grant, seamless in those. He thought, oh, is that – wait, I thought they were doing safeties. Oh, they are doing safety. That guy looks like a corner. Mm. Yeah, he's one of those guys has got corner skills at safety. Um, very physical, not afraid to fill. Um, certainly not his preferred game, but in terms of shutdown in the passing game, tremendous and in terms of usefulness to an nfl team all rookies kind of have to earn their place and one of the things that stood out about grant to me is he has 533 career special team snaps at ucf there are eight guys in this draft that are above 500 career special team snaps and richie grant is one of them well that is our defender while being your lead defender and there are teams that do this alabama We'll put, you know, Alabama had Devonta Smith on their special teams. Heisman Trophy wide receiver played core special teams for Alabama. There are teams that will put their very best players on special teams, but where there are no roster limits in college and you can have, you know, you have a scholarship limit, but you can have a 100 guys on the sideline on a Saturday. Typically, you're rotating a sort of different crew in for special teams and your starters aren't touching that. Here's the starter who's super high profile, has versatility between corner and safety, basically plays seamlessly between those two roles, and has 533 special teams career snaps. That's going to move him up some boards. Just the versatility between corner and safety is going to move him up some boards, and then people are going to look and be like, this guy's a football player. Like He can play Mm -hmm. defense and special teams for us as a rookie and contribute. Again, he has impact. He's not just a body there. Great range, great length, good speed, kind of checks all the boxes for what you'd want for a pass defending safety, um, and it adds a physical bent to that. Right, that's that's a guy I want. So I like Richie Grant. There's a bunch of good safeties in this class. Richie Grant, I think, brings more than most of them. Not all of them, but most of them.
1: He's the kind of safety that lets you play nickel without playing nickel, where it's like, yep, we, you know, we if we're playing you know, some too high stuff. And we really <laughs> want too high stuff. Too high stuff. That's what we do and here. We do the too high <laughs> stuff. I mean Vic Fangio. <laughs> uh and you know, if it's like, hey, we really don't want to pull off our Sam linebacker because we think he's a better run defender than either of our safeties, or it's like, hey, he's a better blitzer, or what have you. Or a we don't want to pull out our nose because we really really like our run defense falls apart without him whether we have you know a stacked box or not and but you know we we got 11 personnel on the field and we still need to cover that guy then you drop down Richie Grant you're not pulling off your nose you're not pulling off your Sam or whoever you're supposed to be swapping out in nickel and then it's like hey we're like we can just play all of our single high zone coverages or single high man coverages out of this and not sacrifice on our run defense. Like, he he provides that kind of versatility. Force which, multiplier. Force multiplier, which, you know, some, again, not all defenses are going to use that. Some, some defenses are like, if we get 11, we're playing nickel. If we get 11, we're playing dime. Like, whatever it is, we'll pull off our guys. Some defenses, like, say, Bill Belichick, if he's not comfortable with his run defense in nickel, he won't play nickel <laughs> Like flat out. He won't do it. he like, he'll, he'll find a way like those versatile players that he would have, you know, the, the Harmons, the Chung's the McCordys, they would play nickel without playing nickel. And, and they just drafted sure. a guy Duggar last year. Who's going to be their new Chung, but Richie Grant, I think could be their new McCordy. where it's like, you want to be corner. You want to be safety. You want to be nickel. He'll do whatever. And yeah. not every defense would use them that way, but they would. It's true. He it reminds me in
0: that versatility, like guys like Minka and guys like Tyr and Matthew, right? Tier, I think Tier Matthew has more versatility than Grant. His envelope is wider. He can do damn near anything on the field, but Grant is a guy whose envelope is typically wider than somebody you draft in the safety class, right? You get that guy and you're really getting like a player and a half on your roster, And and if you add the other half for special teams, if that's the way you're you're getting two guys for one slot, right? You're getting a full time like deep third defender. You're getting a halftime like nickel corner and you're getting a halftime special teamer and you get two guys for one slot. And when you only have 53 slots, that's a very valuable thing.
1: Yeah. Um, My fifth and final gem is also a safety, also a guy who I'm really trying not to compare to Tyron Matthew, but it's really (laughs) damn tempting. Uh, Our Darius Washington from TCU, who's similar size to Matthew, but believe it or not, even smaller. He's like 5'7", 180, somewhere around there. And
0: the crazy Um, thing is he's the
1: other guy from TCU. He's the the other safety from
0: TCU because his running mate is more highly ranked than him, but they're both really skilled. like, don't forget about that guy.
1: Yeah, Washington, he's a, he's a little dude, but he makes plays like you wouldn't believe. He's got range, instincts, intelligence, quickness. I mean, he's, he is on the ball lickety split. And I was talking to Vast about this, who runs TCU's defense. He, he went to TCU to their install meetings for them to teach him how to run it. It's like he knows that system backwards and forward. And I was having a conversation with him about it and it was like, you don't even get to see the field on TCU at safety, unless you know that system backwards and forwards. Like you can't even run it. That defense doesn't function without safeties that know what they're doing because they're the ones that make all the checks and all the split field stuff where it's like, we got one coverage call on one side, one coverage call on the other. And these two safeties have to communicate. And when there's motions, they have to adjust each of their sides individually to get new calls in. Um, Like, you know, you'll have game plans for, certain things like hey if they give us this call this but like sometimes they'll give you something you don't expect you got to make something you got to make a call on the fly you got to know your defense well enough and you got to know your guys well enough to know what they can do and what they can't do and manage your side and not only do you have to know what everybody's doing on your side of the call you have to know what everybody's doing on the other (laughs) side of the call so if you get a concept that's like let's say you're playing stubby on the on the trip side they call it special in that system Uh, and you know, like, Hey, number two is one-on-one vert number three is one-on-one with my other safety. If I just have a hitch or a curl on my side that I'm not doing anything with, because my corner's playing man on this side, I have to look and read number two through number three and see where they're going. Because if I, if I'm getting like a curl from number three, but I got a post from number two, because they're trying to hit that, that post one-on-one. I got a haul ass deep middle and bracket because that corner doesn't have help. Even though it's not my side, I just have to know to do that and be instinctual. And you saw our Darius Washington do that a lot. Like he will just appear out of nowhere <laughs> and just make plays on the ball. He's got range Oof. instincts, yeah. intelligence. You can't see the field on TCU without having all those things. So I know he's small, but he just makes plays (laughs) and he's one of my favorite safeties in this class to watch. And there's a lot of safeties that I like in this class. It's a better safety class than it is a corner class, in my opinion. Um, And he's, he's right near the top in terms of just pure entertainment factor, I guess you could call it.
0: Yeah. And I think the place, the, the spot that he might fit in the slot that he might fit in is wider in the NFL than it's ever been because nickel is the new base. Dime is a super prevalent coverage, and a lot of times that's three safeties, right? Dime is three safeties, right? We're not we're not just bringing in five corners because our third safety is better than our fifth corner, and so what he lacks in overall height or stature um, makes up for in quickness, again, speed, instinct, and you know, you might say, oh, what you know, what what value is a third safety? It's like, well, if we played dime. 35 or 40% of the time because they're running four wides. We're going to have that guy on the field because he makes plays and he's smart enough to understand And We can run him up close. We can run him further deep. We can run him in a bracket with a corner or the other safety. Um, He's got that kind of versatility, uh, speed playmaking ability um, shows up. One of those guys that shows up and that's pretty crazy considering that his running mate is, you know, in the running to be the first safety drafted in this class. Morrig is, you know, considered in that top three for sure. Again, it's going to depend on what system and what they want. But to be the the other guy in that defense and to make as many plays as he does, look, in the modern NFL, you need DBs. You need them more than Mm -hmm. you need inside linebackers, right? Because you're going to play them more than you're going to play inside linebackers. You're going to be a nickel and dime more often. And yeah, you need a rangy middle linebacker who can cover in the pass, in those situations, right? Absolutely. But you need those guys behind. You need that, you know, what Nick Saban calls star, right? That guy that kind of rotates between safety and slot and outside corner. Like, you need those versatile defensive back. Those we talked about it last year. Those positionless defenders, right? And he's a guy that can play anywhere in that middle triangle of a defense, um, on nickel or dime, and you're going to feel fairly comfortable with him there, unless you're putting him against like against a guy like Rob Gronkowski, right? Yeah, right. Or unless Pitts, you're putting him against a guy, somebody yeah, like that. just a big yeah. dude who's going to overpower him and can outreach him fairly easily. That's going to be more pitch and catch for a quarterback, but short of that, right? You put him on a guy like Gerald Everett, sure, yeah. I line him up all day, yes, for sure. So I'm, I'm with you. I like him a lot. I like his running mate. Both those guys are really good, and they both have a role in the NFL.
1: Now, your, uh, your fifth gem is somebody. Full disclosure, I have not watched yet. Yeah, but and you, I hear that a lot, which is
0: weird <laughs> considering. I mean. Again, folks that are deep into the draft have certainly watched him. And this the scary thing is you have watched him. You just haven't watched him. Watched him, yeah. Right, yeah. So my fifth gem is Tommy Togiai, defensive tackle from Ohio State, which is why I say you've seen him, right, because they played Clemson. They played, they, played, they played everybody. You saw him at some point, right, but he wasn't the guy you were watching, right? You were watching their linebacker core, which they rotated through, there's four of those guys that are in this draft, and they all have varying levels of skill. We talked about Baron Browning. We talked about Pete Werner, you know, Tup and all those guys. They're all there. They're always watching, you know, DBU, corners and safety. Sean Wade is there. And then, you know, edge rushers, Ohio State edge rushers. You're going to keep your eyes on it, but you're not typically going to watch that guy that's playing anywhere between the zero and the three in, in Ohio State system. And Tommy Togiai is worth watching he is not a guy um i think his stock took a little bit of a tumble when christian barmore decided to come out right when when barmore committed um barmore the defensive tackle for alabama who again you've seen him even though you haven't seen him you're watching all the other guys on the alabama defense and you're like oh who's that big guy that just crushed everything oh that's christian barmore so when barmore said he was coming out he kind of vaulted up to the top of the middle dt rankings like everybody was like well that guy's gonna get picked in the top three but you shouldn't miss out on Togi. very tough guy like you need to be tough to play that position and he is extremely tough he's a fire plug of a guy he's really quick he has great hand use sound like a theme yep talking about hand use <laughs> for defensive line players can get by guys one-on-one with a guard in that straight three tech lineup He's probably beating him. He's quick enough. He's strong enough. He's got good hand use, and he will flash, and he's got enough speed in the short area. This is not a guy that's going to blow you away with his 40, but I bet he's going to blow you away with his 10. And if he gets through that gap, he can create leverage against a quarterback that equates to a pressure. And in the modern NFL, sacks are not the measure. Sack is a finish, and it's nice, but pressure is what matters. And you watch Tommy Togiai, and he gets pressures from an interior defensive line position that's extremely valuable in the nfl but that's not the only thing he does because he's also really good like i said he's really strong and he's really wide he's excellent at stack and shed he has good ball vision those gaps he can two gap those gaps are controlled nobody's getting through there he's going to hold you off with his right arm and he's going to grab the running back with his left arm and guess what he's coming down because togei is strong enough to do that so he's got A very potent combination of skills for the modern NFL, which is the ability to create interior pressure, which every defense wants. And he's not a one trick pony. He's not a simple flash upfield. Like we talked about that penetrating three tech. He's not that you Mm -hmm. can line him up at zero and have him say, okay, two gaps that gives him system flexibility. And nobody's talking about him, right? People talk about. Far more people talk about Lynn mcneil people talk about we talked about levi earlier I just like strangely for as high profile a program as osu is just doesn't get talked about and you go back and you watch all those films right you watch you're watching justin field's tape and you get to the other side of the ball and you're like and you're watching all the linebackers make flashy plays and it's oh who is occupying two blockers oh it was I doing this in the middle and nobody was going anywhere Right. And the next play, he gets one on one coverage and you can see him. He's like, oh, boy, <laughs> I got this guy because I'm quicker than him. So he's strong. He's quick. It's a little bit compact. If somebody wants that sort of six, five defensive tackle in the middle, they're not going to pick togi But if they want somebody that is effective in both phases of the defense and has the ability to do very valuable things in the modern NFL, in the passing game, Tommy togi is a guy that should be on your team's list.
1: So I just looked it up out of. All defensive tackles or all interior defensive linemen. So I think that also includes some three, four defensive ends that play inside quite a bit. Sure. Uh, in all of college football. So it's 130 teams, not even counting division two as well. Uh, and I don't know what four guys per team, something like that ballpark. He, ha- he Yeah. He has the 14th most pressures for any interior defensive lineman, but He's the only one of those guys in the top 15 that has less than 200 pass rush snaps. So it's less than one, every eight reps he's getting a pressure, which for a, a,
0: for a defensive tackle,
1: that's really good. That's better than Barmore.
0: I know. Yeah. This is like the norming that happened this year in the NFL, which was crazy when they were like, well, Aaron Donald did all right, but this defensive end or this edge had almost as many sacks. And I was like, you're comparing a defensive tackle to a guy that purely rushes a passer, that is an edge, right? And that's the thing. You get a guy like Toki that plays ex- pretty exclusively in the middle. Occasionally, they'll float him out to a five, but that's not rare. He could play a five. I don't think he has ideal leverage to play five, but I've seen him four outside, right? Typically, he's a zero or a three, but you're talking about a guy zero or three right in the middle of the phone booth, right? And he's got a pressure rate. He's got an efficiency pressure rate that's off the charts, and you see it yeah. on tape. It's the same thing that Donald does, right? Chop rip, like step sideways, chop rip, and he's through the gap. Yeah. And then he's like, blah, I'm here. And he's fast enough to use that to leverage a pressure. So for a guy that has that range of skills and can still stand in the gap Hold somebody up with one arm and catch the running back with the other arm with consistency. I don't know why more people aren't saying his name. I just don't.
1: Well, I'll watch him tonight before I go to bed because <laughs> I got, a, tape, I got a long list it's, of guys to go through. It's good to. What, what was his best game? What should I watch first?
0: Uh, let me look up the game uh, that I watched and I will tell you. Um, uh
1: sorry other screen because i gotta think clemson must have been one of the i think i watched him versus clemson
0: but i could be wrong hold on
1: one second i'll tell you but what do you have coming up this week while i'm digging through film so i got the jalen phillips uh film room coming out and then i'm i'm doing a little something different after that by the way i also have a tevin jenkins film room coming out before the end of the month but my other video that i planned before the end of march is something a little bit different than i normally do and as somebody like myself who went to school to learn how to interview people and like i took courses on it, like i was part of my major in like film and television and journalism and stuff like that and ironically the class where i learned how to conduct like professional interviews was the class that ended up getting me the internship at NFL network based on who I was interviewing and the connection I made with them and yada, yada, yada. But so I went to school to learn that. And I've broken down a lot of interviews in my life because of that education that I got at Cal state Fullerton. And I was watching the Pat McAfee show recently. And I was watching his interview techniques with. Hmm. Uh, And this was, Kelsey's first interview, first media appearance period since losing the Super Bowl. What was mm. it like six weeks ago, something like that? Yeah. And the balance that Pat has in his interview style with how he makes people comfortable, asks <laughs> difficult questions, and then presses, yes but he'll press but then he he has a great sense to know of when, when to, back to off. lay off when yeah. to lay off when to transition when to rib guys you know when to talk about his own experiences with things they're going through cuz Pat's lost a super bowl himself so he was and his ability to connect to a guest is masterful and i know he never went to media training or anything like that he's just naturally good at it and Agreed. I, I, Tweeted out that this interview should be taught in journalism school because it was one of the best interviews in terms of interview technique that I've ever Mm -hmm. seen. I'm going to do a different kind of episode on the channel breaking down why Pat McAfee is nice, dominant. But it's because he's like the face of sports media right now, which you and I are in. He is winning for sure. Yeah. There there is is no no way to look at Pat
0: McAfee and not think that guy is winning in many ways.
1: He got Disney to back down. I saw that. you believe that shit? I saw it, that. He made the mouse blink. Nobody makes the mouse blink, but he's yeah. he's good. And at the end of that interview, by the way, completely unprompted, he got Travis Kelsey to say, I want to come by and do some on-camera stuff with you guys and play some. Like, the interview was so good, and the guest mm. had such a good experience that they agreed verbally came back on after they said goodbye and said, I want to come back and do more stuff with you. Like, that's, that's rare that's so area. rare. He's he's so good at his job. So I'm going to I'm going to take a deep dive into that. That's what awesome. I I can't wait to see that.
0: Um so we've got this which is we just did offense, we're doing defense and we are going to put together a uh 1 hour. I know you guys are like 1 hour, we don't believe it. You've been kidnapped. You can't do anything <laughs> in 1 hour. Um you'd be surprised. But anyways, we're going to do a 1 hour Q&A Uh, Friday night is that right did we settle on Friday night I think so yeah Okay so tomorrow night because we're recording this on Thursday So you might not even hear this before we announce it on Twitter But watch Twitter Um, We are going to do a one hour draft Q&A tomorrow night And we have a very special And this is not like an NBC after school very special special We have a very special announcement We are going to be launching something So tune in um and we might even do something fun like some giveaways um we've been working on it for a long time we're really proud of it so uh we're gonna we're gonna float it tomorrow night in a one hour draft q a but we're gonna spend a little bit of that time uh with a launch and and having some fun so swing by grab a beverage and uh we will we will pimp it on twitter but we are we're gonna have some fun with that other than that tape 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 how mm-hmm. many tapes this is that? <laughs> A lot of tapes. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. Um, I think I have 80-something. 80, 80 I don't have my database up right now, but I've got 80-something write-ups in there. And by the end of the weekend, I, I won't be pressing 100. I'll be pressing low 90s uh, by the end of the weekend. But um, yeah, I'm into corners and safeties. Uh, I ended up watching uh Farley last night. It's funny because you were talking about Outside leverage on a slant, and not many guys that can reach that. And there's yeah, he's one of them. (laughs) Yep. There's a there's a rep right at the end of that tape. I was watching 2019 Wake Forest against Jamie Newman. Uh and he is lined up. Uh he's right corner. Uh, and he is lined up against a guy outside leverage, you know, backside towards the boundary. Guy comes inside, backs up, pedal drive comes across his face and knocks the ball down doesn't touch him uh, no flag and you're like whoo that's yeah that's a completion like 85 percent of the time and he just said nope and it looked like a typical play for him it's yeah he's really interesting so anyways diving into the secondary class corners and safeties lots of all 22 and uh, trying to trying to sort and rank these guys. There's a lot of them, um, but loving that. You're doing and a lot then, better than
1: me. I'm like, I'm like 50 deep at this point. So you're way ahead of me. Yeah,
0: pace. I'm, I'm working hard. I'm I'm trying to get, trying to get there because we've got draft live streams coming up. we got some fun guests coming up. We're going to start announcing those pretty quickly. Um, lots of stuff going on, but we also have the bootleg football one year anniversary. We actually just passed that. So we're working on some special stuff for that as well. Um, can't thank all of you enough. I put this on a community post on the, on the YouTube channel yesterday, but somebody told me last week, those people that found you in the first year, which for us is 9,000 plus, right? Almost 9,300 people at this point subscribe to the YouTube channel and can't thank all of you for that, by the way, all around the world all types. We've heard people say, you've taught me so much about football. I'm new to football. We've seen hardcore football people that have been watching football media for a long time and were kind of burned out and have said, you guys have opened it back up for me. You're the ones I listen to. Those comments land. I I just have to say that. But this person said, those people that found you in your first year, those subscribers from year one, those are your ride or die people. Those are your army. And I love that idea. I love that visual that there's 9,000 plus of you out there waving the bootleg football banner and saying, "No, these are my guys. I'm going with them." And it just landed with me. It was another person who's very successful on YouTube. He said, "That's your core. You've got to leverage them. They are they're going to be with you through thick and thin because they found you in the first year and they are on they are the OGs. They are on from the get-go." And I love that. I can't thank all of you enough for that. Um we love all of you and uh we're gonna try and reward that with a bunch of great content going into the draft. Of course, we're gonna be doing the draft live streams. We've got a bunch of great guests coming up. Uh the secret surprise launch tomorrow, which uh many of you have been asking for. So um yeah, tons of good stuff keeping keeping you guys locked in on the draft, which is super cool. Um, one of the greatest comments on the offensive 10 gems I saw was I knew all these guys and it was because of you, (laughs) right? I was so proud of myself because I knew all 10 of these guys and I love that, right? If we can light that up in people and I'm sorry, because it's a terrible addiction as someone who suffered from it for 10 years, um, You know, the draft is a rough thing to love, but it just made me happy. (laughs) Just made me smile. Uh, Um, Yeah, so good. So thanks for sticking with us. Uh, we got a bunch of great stuff coming your way and uh, couldn't be more pumped about it.
1: Thank you, everybody, for watching again. We will see you back with, uh, I don't know, something draft related, maybe a free agency recap, something like that. We'll figure it out and uh, we'll be back next week. Hey, tell us what you want in the comments and we'll do it. Tell us what you want. See you guys later.